0: Well, hey there, future paleontologist. How are all my friends doing? I'm Dinosaur George, and it is great to be with you again. Let's listen to the music, shall we? I'm dancing, in case you wanted to know. Yeah, that's right. I'm dancing. I got moves. You saying I don't got moves? Because I got moves. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope you're all being kind to each other, and I hope you're all as excited about the new Jurassic World movie coming out next week and uh, the Prehistoric Planet show that came out recently. I hope you enjoyed that as well. Let me say for the record, I've had a lot of people say to me, you know, they're very upset because some of the things they saw in Prehistoric Planet are not true. But I want you to remember That when somebody makes a show about dinosaurs, some shows are meant to be scientifically accurate, and some shows are meant to be entertainment, and some can be a combination of both. But when you watch a show or a movie about dinosaurs, it's very easy to hear people complain about all the things wrong with it. I don't like this. This was wrong. This was wrong. I just want you to remember it's not a lesson that they're teaching you in the movie. They're entertaining you. And so if there are errors or if there are things that you may not agree with, you have to understand that these movies are made for entertainment first. So there definitely are some things that are wrong with dinosaur movies and shows. But if all you do is sit there and pick these shows apart about things that you think are wrong with them. Well, how do you know that, that you're, you're correct? What if the people criticizing them, they don't know the answer? If somebody tells me that's not what a dinosaur sounded like, well, then you tell me what it sounded like, because you don't know. So, I hope you are excited about the shows, And I hope you don't let people who don't like them bother you about your opinion. If you didn't like the show, if you don't like the Jurassic Park stuff, there's nothing wrong with that. It's perfectly okay. But if you did see him and you enjoyed him, then I'm glad. We got to talk about a little bit of statistical numbers. The thing I love to talk about, and that is how many downloads of my podcast has happened so far. Well, through today... 356,170 different downloads. So that's a lot of people listening to this podcast and I sure appreciate it and I hope you enjoy it. We're heard in 147 countries all over the world and that equals 9,665 cities where people live who listen to this podcast. So shout out to all of you and thank you all so very much for telling your friends and families and classmates about the podcast because you are the reason why it's growing so much. For those of you that are new to the podcast, I just recently opened a store slash museum at a place in San Antonio, Texas called Trader's Village. I've expanded the museum. It's not 100% ready yet, but I am bringing in some amazing things. I've got a bunch of new skulls. As a matter of fact, I'm going to share two of them with you right now. One is the skull of Cosmoseratops. That's the Ceratopsian with the really interesting looking frill. Cosmoseratops, spelled with the letter K if you want to look it up. The other hasn't arrived, but it's on the way. And it's a big crocodile. I'm not talking about Dinosuchus or phobosuchus. That's right, Sarcosuchus. I'm going to have the skull of Sarcosuchus on exhibit in that exhibit. So if you come to San Antonio, Texas, I hope you make it a point to come visit me. It's only open on the weekends. I will be posting my schedule of the days that I will definitely be out there because I'm still traveling a little bit with my traveling exhibit. But I will be posting that on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. And also, of course, if you're a member of my Patreon club, you will get first, deal, uh, first notice of when I'm going to be out there. And speaking of that, over this past weekend, I had visits from some of you listeners. First, it was Emmett. Now, Emmett is a rep- member of the Raptor Club. Emmett His family, they live in Lindale, Texas, and I got the chance to meet Emmett, and we got to go walk around and look at some of the pieces in the exhibit. I had so much fun, Emmett, with you, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. It was great meeting you and your family. Then, that same day, I met Abe. Now, Emmett is a Raptor Club member. Abe is a Triceratops Club member, and Abe and his family were here in San Antonio And they came out to Trader's uh, Village to say hi. They came all the way from Utah. I think Salt Lake City or right near Salt Lake City. But Abe and his family, is so nice meeting all of you. You were so much fun. Um, Abe, I think you asked me if I was El Stinko. Let me tell you people something. No one knows the identity of El Stinko. Stronger than Superman. Smarter than Batman. Greener than the Hulk. Greener than the Hulk? What do you mean greener? Stronger. More powerful than the Hulk. No one knows the identity of a stinger And it's not me. Okay, so <laughs> I got to meet Abe and his family. They came all the way from Salt Lake City, Utah. And then Eric and Emma from Frisco, Texas, came down to say hi. And it was great seeing you two again. I'm so glad I got to see you. Um, they're, they're both club members, and they're both such good kids. And it was so nice meeting you, and I mean, seeing you again, and your family. And I hope you enjoyed getting to go back behind the scenes and see some of the cool stuff that's going up. And hopefully, Eric and Emma and Mom and Dad, You guys will be back in a couple of months when we're 100% set up. You will be absolutely amazed at the museum. So for any of you that are coming to San Antonio, Texas area, if you do, I hope that you will make it a point to come out and visit uh, my store slash museum at Trader's Village. And I will be posting my schedule on the days I know I will be out there so that if you do come, I'll get a chance to say hi. And let me tell you one of the things I am planning. I am planning on taking out some recording equipment and setting up in my museum and being uh, or allowing kids to come up and be interviewed for an upcoming podcast. So that's something I'm planning as well. And I will keep you all posted. All right, let's get straight into the really interesting subject of today. It's time for our feature creature segment. If you would like to suggest a creature, go to the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com or post your suggestion on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. Now, here is your feature creature. All right. This feature creature is the one and only Amargosaurus. Amargosaurus is a very unique sauropod. Sauropod is the name for the family of what we often call long neck dinosaurs. That's dinosaurs like Brachiosaurus and Diplodocus and Camarasaurus and Mementosaurus and all of those long-necks that you know. But Amargosaurus is very unique because of the weird spines on its neck. Now, the name Amargasaurus in English means La Amarga Lizard. La Amarga is the name of the formation. Scientists give names to layers of dirt. Each layer has a name. And that is how scientists know what time period an animal lives in, by the layer of dirt it comes out of. So the various layers of the dirt are given names. They are called they are called a formation. So, for instance, there's a place called the Judith River Formation, the Hell Creek Formation. These are all names of layers of dirt, and different animals lived in those layers because they represent different time periods. So, the layer it was found in is called the La Amarga Formation, and that's where the name Amargasaurus comes from in honor of the location. That formation is in, um, in uh, Argentina. That formation is in South America, in Argentina. That's where it was found. Amargosaurus lived in the early Cretaceous, and that makes this a little bit different. Something happened at the end of the Jurassic period where a lot of the long-necked dinosaurs became extinct. New long-necked dinosaurs appeared. New sauropods appeared. So, for whatever reason, Diplodocus, Apatosaurus, uh, Camarasaurus, Brachiosaurus, they did not make it into the Cretaceous period. The early Cretaceous period is when Amargosaurus lived. So, let me explain the formations. Okay. There are time—we group things into time periods, like, for instance— The Mesozoic era is made up of three times. The Triassic, the Jurassic, and the Cretaceous. Those three times fit in the Mesozoic era. Then within each one of those, there is an early Triassic, a mid-Triassic, and a late Triassic. There's an early Jurassic, a mid-Jurassic, and a late Jurassic. And in the Cretaceous, there is the early Cretaceous, the mid-Cretaceous, and the late Cretaceous. So dinosaurs like Allosaurus, my favorite dinosaur, Allosaurus lived in the late Jurassic, meaning it lived at the end of the Jurassic period. Tyrannosaurus Rex lived in the late Cretaceous, so it lived at the end of the Cretaceous period. But Amargosaurus lived in the early Cretaceous period. And that means that it lived somewhere between about 130 to 120 million years ago. So it was on Earth long before Tyrannosaurus rex or Triceratops or Ankylosaurus or duck This is an early sauropod. And for whatever reason, it was one of the ones that either It survived the end of the Jurassic, or at least its ancestors did. So in Argentina, we had this weird Amargosaurus dinosaur walking around. Now, there's only one skeleton found, and that was found in 1984. And it was almost complete, which is amazing, because that gives scientists a whole new look at this dinosaur. One of the biggest problems digging up dinosaurs is so many times pieces are missing. And if the pieces are missing, scientists have to guess what the missing pieces look like. But fortunately, fortunately, this one that they found in 1984 was almost complete. It was described in 1991. You all remember the difference between discovered and described. Discovered is when it was found. Described is when scientists wrote a paper giving all the necessary information to be reviewed by other scientists so that it got a legitimate name, a recognized name. So it was discovered in 1984 and named or described in 1991. Now, it was big for its time. It was big, but it's not giant like other sauropods. This thing was 9 to 10 meters long. That's 30 to 33 feet long. That's big compared to you and I. But it certainly is not ginormous compared to some of the other unusual dinosaurs or the long-necked dinosaurs. So it was certainly large, but it was not giant compared to the other sauropods that came before it. Two things that are unique. Well, let me take that back. One thing that is unique, but another thing I want to talk about, and that is its teeth. If you've ever seen a sauropod and you look at the teeth, they do not look like teeth that are made for chewing because they're not. Their teeth are not made for chewing plants. Their teeth don't even line up. And what I mean by that, when you close your mouth, stand in front of a mirror, close your mouth put your teeth together and smile so you can see your teeth. They line up. The top ones line up with the bottom ones, right? That's how you chew your food. Food goes in your mouth. Your upper and lower teeth chomp it up and break it into bits. Well, amargosaurus' teeth don't do that because they don't chew in their mouth. There's a lot of debate about this, but I still firmly believe that sauropods like Amargosaurus chewed their food inside of of their stomach. Let me explain what that means because I don't mean there's a set of teeth in there. There's not a mouth in the stomach. Birds today will swallow stones to help them grind up the seeds that they eat. Birds don't chew their food in their mouth, but they need to break the seeds up. We chew our food for two reasons. One, so that we can swallow it without choking. And two, You have to break it up so that your body can absorb the nutrition inside. Food is like a birthday present. You look at it on your plate and it looks great. Your body says that looks great. But if you don't unwrap it, you don't get to play with the toy inside. Well, if you don't chew your food carefully and completely, your body cannot get inside To get to the nutrition, the good part. So their teeth did not chew. Their teeth would rake the leaves off the limbs. They would put their mouth over it and pull back and strip the leaves off of a limb. You could do that with your hand with a bush. Find a bush that has leaves. Make sure it's not one with pointy leaves because it'll hurt. But put your hand around it, squeeze it, and pull back. You pull off all the leaves and leave the stick. That's the way these guys use their teeth, I believe. So they could pull them off and swallow the leaves whole. Then as the leaves go down into the tummy, as the tummy moves, and yes, your tummy is always moving. If you're hungry and you hear your stomach make that noise, people say that their stomach is growling. That's because your stomach is moving and there's no food inside. And it's air that's kind of making that gurgling noise, that noise. That's your tummy. It's still looking for something to eat. When you put food in it, you can't hear that noise anymore because now there's food inside in that bubble of air, those air bubbles, you don't hear them anymore. So, a Margosaurus' tummy is always moving. Well, if it's swallowed stones, we call those gastroliths. If it's swallowed stones, And those stones went into their tummy. As the tummy moves, the stones are moving inside and they are grinding up the plants. When the stones are squeezed together by the tummy wall, they are grinding the plants. Let me give you an example of what I mean. When this podcast is over, go outside and find two large rocks. They don't have to be giant, just big, about as big as your hand. Lay one rock on the ground. Pull up some plants and place them on top of the rock and then take another rock and put it on top. Sort of make a sandwich between, uh, put the leaves or the grass between those two rocks and grime the rocks back and forth. When you lift up the rock, you know what you're going to see? Sort of this green paste because the rocks did just, just did the chewing for you. Well, that's what dinosaurs, now you and I cannot swallow stones. Our body isn't made for that. If we swallowed stones, we could get very, very sick or worse. But they are different from they are different from humans. So these dinosaurs may have been able to swallow stones. So when you look at its teeth, they look like a comb. Look at any picture of the teeth of an Amargosaurus, and you look at it and go, those teeth don't look like they are chewing. Well, they're not for chewing. They are for raking the leaves off, and they have to chew up their plants because if they don't, those plants go through its body and its body does not get to absorb the nutrition. So chew your food. Your body will appreciate it. And so will your parents because your mom and dad look at you and go, uh, you need to chew your food better. They're not telling you that because they just have nothing better to say. They're telling you that because it makes you strong and healthy And most importantly, it prevents you from choking on food that you've not chewed up properly. So the teeth are definitely something. But when it comes to a Margosaurus, it's those gigantic spines running from the back of its head almost to its shoulder. They run down the neck and they are big. And they appear to be one on each, like two rows, side by side, of these pointy spikes that went down their neck. The function of them is a little bit of a mystery. Some scientists believe that they were pointy, sharp, because they were covered in keratin. Keratin is what your fingernails are made of. They had a thick covering that made them very sharp. And that means that they probably used them for defense. That's what I think they were for. And they are pointing straight up. And if your defenses are pointing straight up, that means your attacker is coming from above you. And that would then suggest that the animal that hunted these animals were probably taller than a Margosaurus was. It was probably taller because they would be coming from the top down. And that's exactly where you want those spikes to be pointing. That's exactly where you want those spikes to be pointing, at your enemy. Look at any dinosaur that has weapons, and they're always going to be pointing in the direction of the attacker. And Kylosaurus has big spikes on his shoulder to prevent something from attacking from the side. It's not worried about you attacking from the top. It's got such thick skin on its back and so much body armor, it's not worried about that. It's worried about you coming in from the side. Triceratops's horns point forward because that's the perfect position to keep animals like Tarb—I mean, like Tyrannosaurus Rex and uh, uh, Despletosaurus uh, away from you because your your weapon is pointing right at it. So when you look at a its weapons are pointing up, and I believe that means its attacker would be coming from above. This animal is still large. It weighs 6,000 pounds. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's two, two and a half tons, almost three tons. It's a very, very interesting dinosaur. And I would encourage all of you, all of you to try to look it up. For those of you that are members uh, or that are, that are part of the uh, Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page, if you would like a project, here's your project. If you have a toy Amargosaurus, I would like for you to take a picture with predators attacking it from above. So find a taller predator. It doesn't have to be the same predator that would have lived with it. But I just want to see your attacker taller so that the spines of Amargosaurus could be used. If you are an artist and you would like to draw it, then please draw it and ask if you're young, ask your parents if they will please post that picture on my page. I love to see your drawings and your artwork. So I'd love to see a picture of an Amargosaurus fighting with a tall predator and using those spikes. Last thing I forgot to mention about those the spikes on its neck. Some scientists think that there was a thin flap of skin that connected them that almost gave it the look of a sail. Now the sail probably would have no function other than To attract a mate or threaten a rival. And, you know, I say that all the time, attract a mate and threaten a rival. What does that mean? Well, it means that the males or females want to find a a boyfriend or a girlfriend because they want to have a family. And so they have to do something that says, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm single. Hello, ladies. I'm single. I'm not married. And so that then would draw attention to them so that another member of that species can see it and maybe come over to check it out. So if it had skin, maybe that skin was brightly colored and maybe it during a a mating season, like when they want to have babies, maybe it became even brighter. So it was like a big flag that says, look at me, everybody. I'm over here. So that's how they could attract a mate. A mate means like a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a mom or a dad. That's sort of a mate. But how to threaten a rival. Now, a rival is somebody that doesn't want to be your friend. That's your enemy. I hope none of you have enemies, but uh, dinosaurs did. So. They don't want to get in a fight, but they want to say, hey, buddy, look at me. You see how tall the spines on my neck are? Do you really want to mess with me? Do you really want to mess with me? Or do I have to call El Stinko to come in? Wait, forget that part. Forget that last part. Forget that last part. So they could scare away a rival or attract a mate. And that might be what the if there was a sale of skin, maybe it was used for that. Nobody knows for sure what it was used for, but no matter what it was used for, I just want to say that I think Amargosaurus is an amazing, cool sauropod, and if you don't know anything about it, I hope that you will spend some time looking up some information. When I come back, we're going to answer a couple of Ask DG questions, so for right now, let me just do this. (laughs) Now, you can bring Dinosaur George into your classroom, home, or facility anywhere in the world with our virtual lessons. We offer over 15 different topics, including dinosaurs, prehistoric mammals, rocks and minerals, and more. Any age, any location, and any time zone. Visit us at dinosaurgeorge.com. Do you have any questions about dinosaurs? Just ask Dinosaur George. You can post your questions on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook page or click on the Dinosaur George podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com. Questions are chosen at random and you can submit as many as you want. And now, here's Dinosaur George. All right, for these particular questions, because it's been so long since I have been able to do any, all of the questions I'm going to answer today are those that were submitted by my Patreon Club members. Now, it's not always this way. You don't have to join the Patreon Club to ask a question. It's just that it's been so long since I did some questions that I wanted to do them all specifically this time for my Patreon club members and you can be any club level you want and you get to ask questions. So let's go. This is the first one from James a who lives in North Carolina. What was the largest fish eating dino? Well, that's a very good question. James Spinosaurus, Suchomimus baryonyx, all of those dinosaurs appear to be dinosaurs that may have eaten a diet of fish. When it comes to Spinosaurus, now, that's a dinosaur where they've actually found fish bones and fish scales in its stomach area. So that, to me, would suggest clearly it's a fish eater. And so that would be the largest fish-eating dinosaur is Spinosaurus. That would be the largest, in my opinion, of all the fish-eating dinosaurs. Good question. One other thing real quick, all of my Patreon club members, they have the ability to give themselves nicknames. So this one is Titan Elijah. His name is Elijah, but he goes by Titan Elijah, which I love that name. Titan Elijah wants to know if you love dinosaurs, what kind of jobs can you have when you grow up? He seems to understand there's more to paleontology than just digging up bones. Absolutely right. Yes, Titan Elijah, there are all kinds of jobs in dinosaurs. You can be somebody that goes and digs up the bones. You can be somebody that works in a laboratory and cleans the bones up. You can be a person who takes the bones and puts them back together to mount the skeleton. You can be a teacher who teaches people about dinosaurs. You can work in a museum to set up displays. You can work in a museum to interact with the public. You can be an artist that draws images of them. You can be a television producer or movie producer and make your own shows about dinosaurs. There are all kinds of jobs in paleontology, and it's not just digging up bones. I'm a perfect example. I created my own company. I travel all over Texas mostly with the Traveling Dinosaur Museum. And now I own a museum. So there are all kinds of jobs. And one last thing I want to mention to all of you young listeners, I hear people all the time tell me they're worried that there won't be any bones left to dig up when they grow up. Let me tell you something, my future paleontologist. They will be finding dinosaur bones a thousand years from now. There are so many fossils in the world, all they're waiting for is for more people to go out and dig them up. So fear not my friends, you can be anything you want to be in paleontology and you can go digging anytime you want and there will be plenty of bones left for you. Good question, Titan Elijah. All right, here's another Elijah Saurus Rex, another great name wants to know about Gigantopithecus. Well, Elijah Saurus Rex, Gigantopithecus is is sort of a large ape-looking animal. Now, when I first learned about it, it it was a giant, it was thought to be a giant gorilla. But now they think it's more like an orangutan. It's more like the big, it's like a giant orangutan. It's ginormous. It's huge. Do you know, Elishasaurus Rex, some people believe that the legend of Bigfoot or the Yeti was actually caused by someone possibly seeing a gigantopithecus? Do you know Gigantopithecus? Gigantopithecus has lived at the time of humans. There were humans on Earth when this animal existed. Maybe it lasted longer. Maybe people saw the last of them. They're extinct now, I feel very certain, but it is a gigantic ape-looking animal that was about twice the size of a human. It's very, very cool. All right, this is from my assistant, Noah. Hi, Dinosaur George. I have a question for you about the origin of birds and which members of the dinoc- Dinonacosauria is the closest relative or ancestor to birds. One of the prime examples of the ancestors to birds is Archaeopteryx, which lived in the late Jurassic. Um, well, this is a this is a great question. Um because if you look at some of the some of the birds, Certainly, the raptors, the ones we call raptors, which are the meat-eating birds, are probably the closest ancestral ancestral birds to Dinonychosauria, because they are carnivorous. First of all, now they don't use their foot to kill, with the exception of a bird called a seriama. It definitely has a killing claw on its foot, but a seriama is more closely related to the terror birds than to the dinosaurs are the predatory dinosaurs. It's actually more like a terror bird, but I would think that any of the Raptors would be, they would be the ones that would be the closest because they, they, I mean, they, the predatory in nature, first of all. And so that I think alone would be enough to at least put them within that same group. Um, um, uh, let's see. Also, how far do you think feathered and bird-like dinosaurs extended? Um, a feathered bird. Well, I, I think, Noah, if you're talking about how far back were there feathered dinosaur birds, because for all of you, birds are dinosaurs. Noah, Noah's explaining that. His question is to explain that birds are dinosaurs. So how far back did the feathered bird-like dinosaurs go? I don't know. Archaeopteryx goes back a pretty long way I can't imagine anything earlier than the late Jurassic, maybe the mid. I just don't know enough about birds, Noah, to be able to know with any, uh, with absolute certainty. Noah, I would say you probably know more than the bird question than I do. Maybe I need to call you and get you to answer your own question. <laughs> it's a great question, by the way. All right. Uh, hang on a second. I'm coming in here and I uh, got to do make some notes. Okay. Uh, let's see. Quentin wants to know how crocodiles and marine reptiles survived the asteroid, but the dinosaurs didn't. Thanks. Well, you're welcome, Quentin. Um, okay, the marine reptiles like the mosasaurs, the ichthyosaurs, the plesiosaurs, the coronosaurs, they did not make it. They they went extinct as well. Now, so that was pretty much the marine reptiles. But the crocodiles and the alligators and the lizards and the snakes and the birds and the bats and mosquitoes and insects and fish and sharks Why did so many of them survive? It appears that the environmental change that occurred after the asteroid, it changed the environment so quickly, some animals and plants could not adapt to that. Let me explain what I mean. If it started snowing today where you live, and it didn't stop snowing for six months, it snowed every day, some animals would simply die immediately. Lizards, snakes, they can't hibernate for half a year. They would die. They just can't deal with it. But little furry mammals could probably deal with it fine. You and I could deal with it. We'd just build a fire or put on more coats. Cows could adapt. As long as they could find food, they would be able to survive. So some animals are not bothered by an environmental change, but some definitely are. And in the case of the marine reptiles and the the terrestrial land-living dinosaurs, they could not adapt and they became extinct. But other ones like crocodiles and lizards and all the animals I mentioned, they were able to survive. It probably has to do with their ability to adapt to a different changing environment that's my best guess quentin thank you buddy okay uh let's see hi dinosaur george thanks for your podcast and sharing all your knowledge hey it's it's uh uh my friend it's my uh my pleasure uh heckard family charlie don wants to know if baby dinosaurs played and if they did how did they play with each other like lion cubs or puppies or play fighting and would they have played with rocks and sticks? What an interesting question. What a great question. Charlie Adon. Charlie Adon. I love that name, Charlie Adon. When animals play, there's a reason for it. There's two reasons for playing. Reason number one is it makes a bond with your siblings or family. It gives you something to do together, or at least it's a way to show that you are part of the group. If you're ever playing in a group and there's some stranger standing away by himself watching you, they don't get to feel like they're part of anything. That's why it's so important to walk up and ask other kids around you. Don't walk up to strangers and ask them, but if there's other children playing where you are playing and your parents are there, it's okay to walk up to that child and ask them if they want to play because it makes them feel like part of the group. You can't just walk up to strangers and do that, though. But you can do it when your mom or dad is with you. So reason number one is they play because it makes friendships, a bond. But the second reason is really the most important, and it's about survival. You see, when you're running and chasing each other and hiding, and what you're you're actually doing is preparing yourself, if you're a dinosaur, for what's going to happen when you're by yourself. Predators are going to chase you. You have to know how to run away. When you're playing chase with each other and one of your siblings is trying to catch you, you're trying to move quickly to get away from them. You're practicing to become an adult to be successful. If you're a little meat eater and you're chasing somebody, you're practicing how you're going to catch your food when you grow up, when mom and dad don't take care of you anymore. So yes, I do believe they played. It's also how you get into shape. Playing outside is one of the most important things you can do. I know video games are awesome. I like video games, but you also have to run. You have to play if you can. And even if you can't run, let's say if you are in a wheelchair, you can still exercise, move your arms, move your head, move your feet, move your legs. Those things are important and are good for you. So you can play and that helps you bond a group, it helps you prepare if you're a dinosaur how to catch your food or how to not be food. And it makes you better health-wise. So yes, they absolutely did play with each other. I think they fought with each other. I think little carnivores were probably nipping at each other. Naughty little carnivores. Like little cha-cha-cha raptor. That thing drives me nuts. And yes, they definitely can pick up rocks and sticks. If you ever watch dogs. Dogs will chase a stick. It's not because they like the stick. It's because in their mind, the stick is a rabbit that's running away from them, and they're going to catch it, and they're going to bring it back to you. They think that they are bringing you food because you're part of the group. That's why they play. That's why they chase balls. That's why they do that. So yeah, I think they would have picked up rocks and sticks and threw them around and played with them just like kids do today. It's a very good question, Charlie Don. All right. All right. Hi, Dinosaur. George, Esther loves your podcast and shares it with all her dino-loving friends any chance she gets. Well, Esther, thank you very, very much. Shout out to you, Esther. Thank you for sharing the podcast. I'm glad you listened to it. And thank you so much for telling your friends about it. So Esther has been enjoying mushroom foraging lately and is wondering if dinosaurs ate mushrooms and if there is any dinosaur that really loved eating them. Well, let me tell you right now, Esther, I am a mushroom-eating maniac. I love mushrooms. I love them. I am a mushroom eater, and I hope everybody is because mushrooms are good. So Esther and her family have been collecting them. Now, that's something you can do only when you learn about them. Some mushrooms are poisonous. You never, ever, 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 ever pick up a mushroom in your yard and eat it. Don't even pick them up because some of them are poisonous. Not all of them. Some are good to eat, but you have to know which ones. So, were there dinosaurs that ate them? Absolutely so. Because mushrooms are good for you. They're healthy, and dinosaurs would have learned which ones to eat and which ones not to eat. Unfortunately, mushrooms don't fossilize very well. Mushrooms don't fossilize very well. They don't turn into fossils very easily because they decompose. They disappear. So there's no way to know which dinosaur ate them, but I can tell you that I guarantee you there were mushroom-eating dinosaurs out there. I guarantee you. All right, here's this last one. Uh, this is from Emery Rex. Emery Rex wants to know, how did Spinosaurus swim? Also, how does T-Rex defend itself against velociraptors? Well, Spinosaurus appears to be able to swim by using its tail like a crocodile. They have a big flat tail that would have been used to kind of move them through the water slowly. And that's how they would have gone through it. Well, they could move it quickly probably and go fast. So they use their tail, not their legs, maybe their back feet, but probably to steer with their back feet. They probably use their tail to swim. How does T-Rex defend himself against Velociraptors? Well, not all dinosaurs lived at the same time in the same place, Emery. So T-Rex never saw Velociraptor because they didn't live at the same time and they didn't live in the same place. So they never saw each other. But if they did, I will say this. When something like Tyrannosaurus Rex appears, every other predator is going to get out of there. They're not hanging around, baby. They're going to run as fast as they can because there's absolutely no way, no way they would be able to take on a dinosaur like Tyrannosaurus Rex. It doesn't have to defend itself against them. They would have to defend themselves against it. All right, let me do this one real quick. Dinosaur Joel, Joel sent a good one. Hi, Dinosaur George. I have to do a presentation on dinosaurs for my class, and I'm going to tell everyone about your podcast. Thank you. Dinosaur Joel, thank you very much. Please let me know. And by the way, Joel, I don't know if you pronounce it Joel or Joel. There's two different ways to pronounce your name, and I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm going to call you by both. That way, at least there's a chance I'm going to get it right, right? Uh, Let me know how your presentation went. And thank you for telling people about the podcast I certainly appreciate that very, very much. And finally, this goes to my niece, Susie Soros. Hi, Uncle G. I have a question. How do we know the weight of dinosaurs if we only have the bones? How do paleontologists work it out? Thanks for making this the best club ever. Hope everyone is having a good day. Well, let me tell you this, Susie Soros. You are one of the kindest people, and I know you get that mostly from your mom and from your dad. Come on, we got to make your dad feel a little better. It's your mom. Mom has what is called the sugar gene. She's sweet. Dad's a little sour because all dads are a little sour. (laughs) I'm teasing you. So um, how do they know how much they weigh? And that's a great question. There's a couple of ways they do it. One is to estimate how big the stomach was, how much the heart weighed, how big the kidneys were. They figure out all the internal organs. Then they estimate how much those probably weighed. And they get that by like studying a modern elephant. They know how much an elephant's heart weighs. They know how much everything from an elephant weighs. So they are able then to apply that to a dinosaur because they can say, well, this elephant's heart is this big and it weighs this much. Well, if a dinosaur's heart is twice as big, then we can kind of sort of guess it weighed twice as much. So they make an estimate. There's another way. This way is a little harder to explain, but I'm going to give it a try. They make a model of a dinosaur. Now, not life size because that's simply too big, but they do something called scale. They make it smaller, but it still looks exactly like the way they think the the adult, the full size one looked like. And there's toys made this way. There's a bunch of toys that were never meant to be kids' toys. They were used for the reason I'm going to explain. Then they take a a glass container filled to the absolute top with water, and they slowly lower the toy into the water. The water that comes out is exactly the size of the outside of that animal. It's how, however big the toy is that goes into the water. The water that comes out is the exact same size as the exterior of the dinosaur, not what's inside the outside. Once they've lowered it all the way down, then they can weigh the water that came out. And they use a formula that says if six ounces of water came out. We would multiply that by 500 times, and that's how much we think the dinosaur weighed. I know that's a bad description. I know it's very confusing. But regardless of which method they use, Susie no matter which one, it is indeed a guess. It is a guess that they use, but they use a lot of science behind it to help them figure out what, They think a dinosaur weighed. All right, let's jump over real quick to the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook page, and then we will end this podcast with some Who Would Wins. So let's jump over. If you would like to be part of the Dinosaur George Patreon Club, you can start for as little as $1 a month by joining the Triceratops Club, or you can join the Raptor Club, which is $5 a month, Or you can become a T-Rex member for $10 a month, and you can join in on some of the cool things we get to do. But over on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group, you do not have to pay anything to be a member here. And this is where I post a lot of cool information. For instance, attention all listeners, attention all listeners. If you go to the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page, there is a post about a series of Zoom lessons I will be doing in June and July. These are free for everyone. You can join, but you have to go to our page, and there is a link to the sponsor, the people that are doing this. It's a group called the Whitehead Museum in Del Rio, Texas, they are sponsoring this. But you have to go to my page and click on the link, and that will take you, that will take you to their page where you can sign up. So if you would like to listen to any of the free Zoom lessons I will be doing, you can find it on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. I hope you're signed up. I hope you sign up. All right, let's go in. Uh Noah, my assistant posted a really cool picture about Mononychus from prehistoric planet and he mentioned how thought how cool he thought it was and there's a lot of people that are jumping in saying that they loved it as well. That's a great post and I love it. Paxton made a video. Let me see Paxton, let me see if I can turn up the volume here on your video. Let's see. Hang on just a second. Let me see if I can figure this out. Okay, let's go here. Paxton, let's go. All right, let's see what your video is. I'm Source, Source. I'm interested in your pack pack cast. Now I want to be your T Rex Club. And I, and I want to do art, sex versus T Rex versus Triceratops. Pause. That is great, buddy. Well, I hope you do become a member of the T Rex Club. And Pax and I really really liked really really liked your your who would win I'll try to fit that in at the end I like the scene you created it's very very nice and I'm so glad that you did and thank you mom or dad or grandma or auntie or whoever was nice enough to post it thank you for the video I like that very very much all right Leo from Milton Keys in England wanted to show me his carnivore versus herbivore and dinosaur George escaping on a motorcycle. Well, I'm glad that I'm escaping and not being eaten, but I love your setup, Leo. This is great, buddy. This is very, very good. Man, that's a big T-Rex. That's a big Brachiosaurus. You have a great group of animals. You have all of your herbivores on one side and your carnivores on the other, and you have a coward running away on a motorbike. Well, Wait, did I say coward? Did I say coward? I meant hero. You have a hero riding away. To get help. (laughs) I love it. This is really, really cool. Thank you for doing that. Shout out to you for for posting that. That's really, really neat. All right, James wanted to share his picture from the American Museum of Natural History where they visited today. This is great. This is really good. Are you standing in front of an allosaurus, James? I believe you are. And I see that big barosaurus behind you. This is really good. One of my favorite museums in the world is this one. And I love that you're wearing a Tyrannosaurus around your arm. James, that's a great picture. Shout out to you and your family. I'm glad you had fun. And then here is my little, oh, this is just so amazing. This is my little Susie Soros, my little niece. Susie Soros and her club friends. She was watching Prehistoric Planet with David Attenborough. And Susie Soros was named our first wildlife warrior for her love of nature so she has an article in the paper which i love this by the way it is incredible she wrote to sir david attenborough and he wrote back that has got to be the coolest thing i've ever seen i am so proud of you i am so proud of you and congratulations for him taking the time to write back He seems like an incredibly nice man, and this proves to everybody that he is. By the way, for all of you, just so that you know, a lot of people like Sir David Attenborough and a lot of paleontologists get lots and lots of letters from kids from all over the world. If you ever write to one of them and they don't write back, don't let that hurt your feelings. It could mean that they're traveling and they don't have time to see it, or that they get so many, they can't respond to all of them. So if you ever write to somebody, especially somebody that you like or think is your hero, and you don't hear back, it doesn't mean that not, they don't like you. It can mean that they love getting a letter from you, but they can be so busy that they can't take the time to write back. All right, this is Josh and Lucas who moved from San Antonio to North Virginia last summer and loved having the Museum of Natural History just a short drive away. This is a beautiful dinosaur. That's a beautiful skull. And the two little stinkersauruses standing in front of it, Josh and Lucas, yeah, I called you stinkersauruses. You heard me. I miss you guys from here in San Antonio, but I hope you like your new home, and having that museum close has got to be absolutely amazing. That's a great picture, and thank you so very much. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is really good. Um, uh, let's see. This is from Jenny, who was nice enough to post a really interesting book. I do at times let people post them because uh, if I think it's something really, really nice, I will let them do it. I will let you post it. I use. I don't always, but sometimes I do. All right, this is Kenneth, who's now part of the T Rex Club. Kenneth sent me a video. What is this? Stop right there! What, did you just call me El Stinko? No one knows the identity of El Stinko. Smarter than Batman. Prettier than Wonder Woman. Faster than The Flash. No one knows the identity. Let's hear that again, Kenneth. Hello, El Stinko. I mean, Dinosaur George. I have a birthday and this... What did you get for your birthday? And I got these crocs. Because why? The cronitudes. Because I am am now part of the T-Rex member. Well, happy birthday, my friend. And thank you, Kenneth, for being part. We're glad you are part of it. I am not El Stinko! But thank you. That was very cool. I'm glad you liked your welcome gift. And that's a big dinosaur. So very, very proud of you. So glad to see that. And uh, so glad that you are part of our group. So glad to have you. Uh, Susie Soros again posted a really neat thing about Mary Anning. If you don't know who Mary Anning is, she was a woman who was helping look for fossils. She was digging for fossils. And she lived at a time where... Women didn't get as much recognition as they deserved. And so now, now she's getting the recognition and they posted something really nice about it. And I hope all of you take a look at it. And I hope all of you know that there are no barriers like those or there shouldn't be any more barriers where female paleontologists don't get to be able to get credit for their work. All right. Heathoraptor sending me really good pictures from, oh man, these are great. This is from the Dinosaur Research Center in Colorado Springs. The people that own that, Mike Trebold, is a very good friend, a very nice man. Let me tell you something about the man who owns the Dinosaur Research Center, which is Mike Trebold. He was the first person in all of paleontology who was really super nice to me right when I first started. When I first started, I was talking about building this store and I'll be honest with you, a lot of the people I met were not very supportive at all. I don't know if they thought I was going to be competition or what, but Mike Trebold was so incredibly kind to me and polite. So I have a very close uh, friendship with Mike, and I'm glad that you went to the Rocky Mountain Dinosaur Research Center. And for any of you, At Ever Visit Colorado, I recommend going there. Thank you guys for posting the pictures. I absolutely love them. And then Heathoraptor also, on the top of his—he just graduated, by the way. Uh, He graduated from kindergarten. At the top of his cap, he has Jurassic Park on the top. So, And even his name is Heathoraptor. This is absolutely great. He was recognized for his science, and I'm so proud of you, Heathoraptor. Good for you, buddy. So proud of you. Shout out to you and your family, by the way. All right, our family loves your podcast, but my son, Reno Pelta, noticed something recently. Every time you disappear for your traveling museum, El Stinko solves a crime. Crime. Are you sure you don't have something to tell us? Reno Pelta and his family. I am posting a few pictures of our recent dino-themed family vacation in Denver at the Natural Dinosaur Museum. We think you should do an episode on coprolites. Okay. First of all, to all of your family, thank you all so much for enjoying the podcast. And now, for your accusation, how come El Stinko shows up when I'm not around? Well, maybe it's because of coincidence. Maybe that's just a coincidence. Has that ever occurred to you people? Do you honestly think that I am El Stinko? Do I look like the kind of person that would be El Stinko? No one knows the identity of El Stinko. Faster than Green Lantern. Smarter than Robin. Trickier than Catwoman. one. The identity of the And it's certainly not me. All right, finally, uh Rex built his own T Rex out of scraps of wood. This is absolutely awesome. I'm very proud of you. I'm proud and I love the teeth, by the way. And you need to make sure and tell dad thank you for being a good dad. For going outside and working. Remember I talked about dinosaurs need to be outside and playing? Well, that's exactly what Casparosaurus did with his dad, where they built their own Tyrannosaurus Rex. That is absolutely great. Now, there's tons and tons of other comments that I simply can't get to all of them today, but I just want to tell everybody how much I appreciate you writing to me and um, posting your videos and your pictures. And I hope you will all consider joining. All right, let's end it with something like this Who would win? What if two different prehistoric creatures fought? Who would win? T Rex versus a giant wolf? Raptor versus terror bird? Spinosaurus versus Triceratops. You choose the animals, and Dinosaur George will size them up and pick a winner. Now, get ready. It's time to find out who would win. All right, let's go. To be able to submit a who would win, you have to be a member of the Tyrannosaurus Rex Club. This first one is from Titan Elijah, who also submitted a question earlier. Who would win? T-Rex versus Allosaurus versus Giganotosaurus. Whoa. This is a good one. You got three Titans in there. Well, I love Allosaurus. Everyone knows I do, but I have to be fair. I'm afraid my Allosaurus would be the first to go. I know. It hurts my feelings to say that but he's just going to be overpowered by the power of a Tyrannosaurus Rex and the size of Giganotosaurus. So that would then leave Giganotosaurus and Tyrannosaurus Rex in the ring to battle it out. If Tyrannosaurus ever crunches down with those jaws, game over. But if Giganotosaurus can get some bites in, it's going to slowly wear down the T-Rex because of blood loss. Now, Gigantosaurus's teeth are not like T-Rex's. They're not bone crunchers. It could still rip out a big chunk of meat, but it's not going to crack the bones. The reason why a bite from Tyrannosaurus is so deadly is because when you start cracking bones, you immediately take your opponent out of the game. If you can crack bones they can't function properly. If you crack a leg bone, they can't walk. If you crack the bones in the tail, they may not be able to stay balanced. If you crack a bone in the arm, that arm is useless. Being bitten on the leg hurts, but cracking bones wipes you out. In this particular fight, I must say, I would give the fight to T-Rex, who will remain the king of the dinosaurs. All right, this is from my buddy, Ern Lemmy 47 Who would win? Dinosaur George as the alpha of a pack of allosaurus that breathe El, El Stinko gas with a fire-breathing Carnotaurus versus a poison-breath Titanoboa-Dragon hybrid. All right, this is the craziest fight I've ever heard. All right, if I'm the alpha and I have a pack of allosaurus that breathe out El Stinko gas, Nothing, nothing is going to win because they're going to breathe out El Stinko gas. It's going to wipe out the Carnotaurus and Titana Bowen. They're going to go first. And then when the Allosaurus smell the breath that they just released, they get wiped out as well. Leaving me the only victor. I am able to withstand the stink bombs. Because I am clearly, I might be able to survive. No one knows for sure. (laughs) All right. This is from a little buddy, George. Great name, by the way. Allosaurus versus Tarbosaurus. Hey, this is a good one. I've never had this one before. Now, Tarbosaurus is a big late Jurassic carnivore and Allosaurus is too. And there's some debate over which one gets larger. I still believe that Allosaurus was larger than Tarbosaurus. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I was thinking Torvosaurus. You said Tarbosaurus. Tarbosaurus is a cousin of Tyrannosaurus rex that lived in the late Cretaceous and lived in Asia. So Allosaurus is late Jurassic. Tarbosaurus is late Cretaceous. That gives Tarbosaurus an absolute advantage. Because the later you came along, the more intelligent dinosaurs were becoming, in my opinion. They were becoming smarter and smarter. And that would give you an advantage because you would be able to do things that maybe other ones couldn't figure out. So my Allosaurus, which is a big, fast dinosaur, is not going to be able to withstand the bite force of a Tarbo because he's a lot like Tyrannosaurus Rex. So that's a very good one. uh, But I would give that battle to Tarbosaurus. All right. Uh hi dinosaur George. Raptor Rex one hundred, what a great name. Raptor Rex one hundred. You sound like some kind of robot. Age six from Maui is wondering who would win. Twenty Ceratosauruses versus 20 grizzly bears versus 20 Dilaposauruses versus 20 Komodo dragons versus 20 Nile crocodiles versus 20 caprosuchuses versus Dinosaur George without his stink bombs. Haha, ha, aloha, and thank you. Okay, first of all, what kind of kid are you? Why would you put me in that sort of battle? If I don't have my stink bombs, how could I possibly win? Um, if I had one stink bomb, I could wipe out all these animals with one stink bomb. All I have to do is raise my arm. Point my underarm towards the enemy and release the fumes. But since you took them away, I would say that the winner of this fight is going to be 20 Caprosuchus's. That's what I think. I think Caprosuchus could take on Ceratosaurus and Grizzly Bears and Dilophosaurus and Komodo Dragons and now Crocodiles and me without stink Okay, forget me without stink So I would say that that is who is going to win that battle. Last one, my buddy Noah, T-Rex versus Mosasaurus in the water. Great matchup, great battle. If Mosasaurus can grab T-Rex by the leg and flip it underwater, that's the end of the fight because there's nothing T-Rex can do. Both Mosasaurus and T-Rex breathe air above the water. Mosasaurus don't have gills. But their body is made for holding their breath longer. If you're a Tyrannosaurus Rex, you never have to hold your breath. You don't, you don't hold your breath. That's, there's no reason for that, except for maybe if you have to swim across a river to get to somewhere else. And maybe if your head goes under, you have to hold your breath. But their body doesn't do that. Their lungs aren't made for that. But an animal that lives its life in the ocean, that is an animal, even if it's an air breather, that is an animal that would use its larger lungs to be able to hold its breath longer, which would give it an advantage. All right, my friends, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For all of you that you're experiencing summer vacation, I hope you're enjoying it. I will try to produce as many of these podcasts as I can because I know a lot of you are traveling and a lot of you would like to be able to listen to the podcast while you travel. So I will do my best to do that. I hope you are all having a great day, a great week. Here's to a new month. Today's the last day of May or into June. Be kind to everyone around you. Be kind to your family. When your mom or your dad or your custodian tells you to do something, you need to be polite and tell them yes. Don't argue with your parents all the time. They have enough things to deal with. They need you to be polite to them like you are to your friends. Be polite to everybody. Till next time, my friends. I am not El Stinko. So stop saying it. Oh, maybe I am. See you guys!